Hi, welcome to Monocular, a storytelling podcast where I offer you a one-eyed look at the distant and not-so-distant past. You're about to listen to the second part of this three-part episode about the time I spent calling myself a Satanist during my late teens. If you haven't listened to the first part already, I highly recommend starting with that, as this part will definitely make more sense that way. As always, Monocular is written, performed, recorded, and produced by me, Mikkel Elbeck, and you can find all the information you want about the show on monocularpod.com. That includes information on how to support the ongoing production of Monocular by becoming a patron. Just like Bob Farley. Thank you, Bob. If you wanted to subscribe and perhaps leave a five-star review, that would also be a most terrific way of supporting the show. Monocular is a Torahtown Storyworks production, and for more information about the company, a one-stop shop for all kinds of storytelling, please visit torahtown.com. All right, we pick up the story where the first part ended, which was just as I was starting high school in 1998. I'd met my Danish teacher, an older woman, close to retirement age, whom I was particularly excited about being forced to read my essays, because she was also a former priest. So here it is, part two out of three of the story that I've called, Yes, Today's Satan. The very first essay that me and my fellow freshman students had to write in high school was one about ourselves, to introduce us to our Danish teacher. I happily wrote a few pages about myself. I guess I'm the type of person to be excited about such a task. But I never mentioned that I had a budding interest in Satanism. Instead, I mentioned how I'd had my mind broadened due to, quote-unquote, relevant literature. When I got my essay back, she'd written, which, question mark, in the margin. Usually the margin was reserved for pointing out mistakes or praise for linguistic excellence. But right off the bat, I'd made her interested in the substance of what I was saying. So during the talks she would have with each of us about our essays, she asked me what I'd been reading. I told her it was the Satanic Bible. As a former priest, perhaps she could have been expected to be offended or shocked or to report me to the principal for being a devil worshiper. But she just smiled and continued to be curious about this peculiar new student that she was about to spend three years with. As time went by, it turned into being one of my most favorite student-teacher relationships I've ever had. I truly wouldn't hold back in my essays, and she would always approach my work with kindness and curiosity. Maybe it was the Christian in her. She would also pick students to read their essays aloud for the rest of the class, and I was proud and excited to be a frequent pick. One time, I read aloud an essay in which I expressed the benefits of free thinking and stated that, and I quote, any idiot can follow a commandment or ten. The main offense was taken by one of the Muslim girls in class. There was a handful of them, and she was the most orthodox, and the only one to wear a headscarf at all times. She was honestly pretty chill most of the time, and it's hard to blame her for getting a little riled up over my blatantly provocative and blasphemous writings. 
In terms of my mocking of the commandments, she put forth an argument that I've never been able to forget. She said that the only reason there's so much bad in the world is because people don't follow the word of God. That puzzled me and stopped me in my tracks. I don't think she is right and is obviously impossible to test, but I do like the thought experiment of what would happen if, indeed, everyone strictly followed the word of God, whether it's as it's written in the Bible or the Quran. Maybe the world would indeed be a better place, but probably not. I remained an advocate for free thinking. In the second year of high school, I was gone for a long time due to mononucleosis. Upon my return, my first essay was not actually an essay, but rather a poem. I obviously had no objections to writing several pages of text as I normally would to produce an essay, so I wasn't trying to cut any corners. But because I ended the poem with a reference to Aleister Crowley's Book of the Law, and specifically the line, The law is do what thou wilt, I added a little note in which I gave credit to Mr. Crowley, you know, to show where I'd gotten the line from, and also just in case my teacher wanted to read some demonic nonfiction in her spare time. When she handed the paper back to me, she told me that she knew I'd been out sick for a while, but it was a little too easy to just hand in a poem, and she was also missing information about who'd done the translation. Turns out, she thought the whole thing was a poem by Alistair Crowley that someone had then translated into Danish, and then I'd simply typed it out on my computer, handing it over in place of an essay, thinking my teacher would forgive me since I was just getting back on my feet after a bout with mono. Though confused at first, I realized what was going on, and I explained myself to her. She then changed my grade from blank to the equivalent of a C, which greatly frustrated me, because it was a pretty good poem and it was an exercise in quality over quantity. Oh well. My biggest undertaking in this intellectual exchange with my Danish teacher came when she asked us to do an analysis of a painting. We could pick any painting we wanted, and we'd be graded on our analytical skills. Naturally, I saw this as quite the opportunity. Instead of just picking the Mona Lisa or a Picasso or whatever, I decided to paint my own painting. So I did. My skills were quite limited, however, so it was a simple one of a brown cross standing on red ground against an orange sky. The idea was that it was a cross representing Christianity, but placed in hell. I gave it the title, The Punishment, and I also came up with a pseudonym, which was Axel Fenris, and in my paper I described Mr. Fenris as a Danish underground painter, thus limiting the risk of my teacher figuring out what I was doing. The analysis we were tasked with writing was probably supposed to be about a page long, but I was very excited, so I wrote three pages. In great detail, I described the painting, how the orange brushstrokes represented flames, and how the painting perfectly depicted the hypocrisy of Christianity, followed by an extensive philosophical dissertation on exactly that topic. In the closing paragraph, I stated the following. This dream of a world without religion is impossible to turn into reality because you are so alone with your point of view. And when a relatively unknown underground painter like Axel Fenris does his part to change this hate-filled world, his message will never reach further than people want it to. If there is a point of view that people do not like, they simply turn their back to the preacher. And then what can you do? If people really want to live their small existence with full confidence in a non-existing God, is there any other way out besides hoping that this God will one day lead them in a different, more intelligent, and independent direction? 
Well, you can hope to meet some of the individuals who will not simply turn their backs to your sensible words in the moment you introduce them to your perspective on life, and who also have the brain power to understand the words you're saying, rather than simply say, well, you're entitled to your opinion, I simply believe something else, because then you're getting nowhere. I was both proud and excited when I delivered that essay, and even more excited when I was getting it back a week or two later. She ended up giving me an A-, and had written the following words by hand on the physical paper I had printed my analysis on. Dear Mikkel, you're so gifted and so talented in so many ways, and then you choose to spend your precious time in that dead end. It's a mystery to me. The first page is the analysis, and you've handled that the way you usually do, really well. The rest is up to you. As the class ended, she let me know that she'd like me to stay behind, so I did. Then came a whole array of questions. Are you a member of a satanic cult? Have you had a strict Christian upbringing? Were your parents really religious? I explained myself and let her know that I felt I had received the gift of being able to look behind the facade of religion. And once you have that gift, it becomes obvious how insincere and hypocritical people are. It went on for a while. She then said, Okay, you're an atheist, and you value intelligence and creativity, so why don't you put your talents to use? I was taken aback by the question and said that I was indeed trying to do that by writing poems and songs and essays. She then told me I should be writing novels and maybe even memoirs. I then pointed out that I was only a teenager and that I ought to have some experiences to write about first. She then concluded by saying, that was a really good answer. So anyway, here I am, writing a kind of memoir, partially about her. Without even knowing, I guess I took up her advice. I never revealed to her that I'd done the painting myself. My final exam before graduating was my oral exam in Danish, and I had this great idea to bring the painting along and present it to her as the final interaction between us, but I didn't actually do it. I really wish I had, though. She and I ultimately ended on a good note. I got an A in that final exam in spite of being hungover after partying with my friends who'd all had their final exam the day before. It did leave my mouth terribly dry, however, and at one point in the middle of the exam, she rushed out of the room to get me a glass of water, much to the concern of my parents and sister who were waiting outside the room, ready to greet me once the exam was over and I was officially done with high school. In Denmark, your high school graduation cap is a maritime-looking thing, made out of white cloth with a black brim and a red ribbon, decorated with a small cross on it. Naturally, I flipped the cross on mine upside down, but other than that, I wore my cap as proudly as everyone else. My exploration of the satanic universe largely took place, as one might expect, on the internet. It was the late 90s and simple HTML websites overflowed the web, but there were also chat rooms to be found. I located information about the Danish chapter of the Church of Satan, watched clips, and read interviews. Mainly, though, I hung out on the American part of the internet, and I learned about competing satanic churches. There was Anton LaVey's church, but also several others, including one that had aptly named itself First Church of Satan. As a Levian follower, I naturally sided with his church, but I was intrigued about this odd online rivalry. One day, I joined one of the chat rooms to get a first-hand sense of the rivalry between the two groups. Turns out, 
the head of the first church of Satan, was accused of being into bestiality and specifically intercourse with dogs. In an innocent attempt to be clever, I had picked a chat room nickname that turned out to be quite unfortunate. The Great Dane. I soon stopped using that name. Of course, I had to have my own presence on the internet too, since I was writing music and poems and essays and what have you. I decided to put it all together on a website called The Black Market. I had to be honest, I actually still think that was a pretty good name for a website full of my devilish mishmash of creativity. To further educate myself on Satanism, I also bought all the other books by Anton LaVey, including The Devil's Notebook and Satan Speaks, both of which were collections of essays. Some were dark and serious, some were about not bathing, and the whoopee cushion. To me, the best one was the one about the good guy badge, which described how some people do good things merely for the opportunity to appear as a so-called good guy. It's a fantastic term, and to this day, when I encounter blatant cases of that, I still think of it as the given person showing off his or her good guy badge. Credits to Marilyn Manson for incorporating the term in the song Get Your Gun, whose chorus goes as follows. Pseudo-morals work real well on the talk shows for the week, but your selective judgments and good guy batches don't mean a fuck to me. Besides LaVey's books, I also acquired the aforementioned Book of the Law by Alistair Crowley and Ragnar Redbeard's Might is Right, which LaVey had lifted quite a few passages from for his own satanic Bible, and which is why I wanted to own a copy. Turns out it's a horrible piece of white supremacist misogynistic literature, and I'm happy to say that I've never actually read it, and that the parts LaVey lifted weren't those truly horrible ones. Finally, I also got Marilyn Manson's autobiography, The Long Hard Road Out of Hell, which was undoubtedly the most entertaining one in my growing library of satanic literature. As for my Manson fandom, I got to see him in Copenhagen in February of 2000, along with my brother's girlfriend. In and of itself, it was a pretty great rock and roll show, but it was still full of the things that would rile up American youths and shock their parents. But in Denmark, it just didn't have the same effect. Not even close. Eventually, you're just standing there realizing that you paid good money to watch a dude trying to insert a microphone into his ass. Nevertheless, he continued to fascinate me, and along with Antichrist Superstar, the two follow-up albums, Mechanical Animals and Hollywood, were among my favorite albums for several years. One moment that stood out for me and which helped solidify my fandom far beyond any satanic context was the interview he gave to Michael Moore in his Oscar-winning documentary, Bowling for Columbine. The movie is an exploration of why the Columbine High School massacre in 1999 had happened, and Manson had been accused of inspiring the two young men who had carried out the shootings, and certain people tried to hold Manson responsible. In the interview, Michael Moore asks Manson what he would say to the Columbine kids if he could talk directly to them. And while Moore might have meant the survivors, Manson appears to assume he's referring to the two shooters. As such, Manson responds, I wouldn't say a single word to them. I would listen to what they had to say, and that's what no one did. That quote left a significant impression on me, and I remember feeling very validated as a Marilyn Manson fan because it was such an intelligent and empathetic response, and it underlined that he had much more to offer than his regret in terms of not being born with enough middle fingers. While 
I held on to Manson, my identity as a Satanist began to fall apart much sooner than I expected. Several parameters were at play. First of all, besides my brother's girlfriend, I never found any kind of satanic community I felt like being a part of, neither online or in the physical world. Sometimes my wife and I will be in some kind of social situation where we're surrounded by a bunch of other people, such as a concert or some professional context, and we'll talk about whether or not we feel like we are among our peeps, as in like-minded people that make up a group you consider yourself part of and desirable to identify with. Sometimes we do feel like that, but I can mainly remember the feeling emerging while at a Connor Oberst show at the Orange Peel in Asheville. Either way, I'm fascinated by the concept of feeling like you're among your peeps. In my teenage years, just around the turn of the millennium, living my life as a Danish Satanist, I was doing everything I could to explore the world that was supposed to contain my people. But whenever I encountered other Satanists, either in living, breathing form, online, or in TV documentaries, I never felt that famous click. These people weren't my peeps. There was just something fundamentally unbecoming about the doom and gloom of it all which seemed to contradict LaVey's core message of living a rich, full, hedonistic life in which you embrace your desires and your lust rather than allowing yourself to be kept down by hypocritical Christian doctrine. In most cases, Satanism seemed to merely fill the void that Christianity had left behind in these people. And rather than lead to a happier, more meaningful life, Satanism slowly revealed itself to me as simply being yet another religion that people could dress up in and then used to distance themselves from other people. All of this, however, was something I was only sensing on the intuitive level. It took a very specific realization to make me move on from Satanism for good. This realization arrived in my skull not too long after a conversation I'd had with my brother and his girlfriend. We were visiting my parents some random weekday, and we'd gone out for a walk around the familiar neighborhood. This particular day, roughly two years into me identifying as a Satanist, I was uttering all kinds of frustrations to my brother and his girlfriend, and they all had to do with how other people were no longer reacting to me being a Satanist in the way I wanted them to. I suppose the novelty had worn off after a couple of years of me spouting out my newfound beliefs in every possible context. So I was left with a disappointing conclusion that it was now time to simply be at peace with my beliefs and lead a life according to them. No more constant pot-stirring, just life. But a life I could live knowing that I'd seen the light, or rather, the darkness, that would allow me to lead a more honest and truthful and less hypocritical existence. This, however, wasn't enough for me, and it led to me uttering a string of words that truly reflect the turning point in my life. I poured my frustrated teenage heart out to my brother and his girlfriend, and I asked them, What's the point of being a Satanist if nobody knows you are one? I have to be honest and say that it didn't immediately sink in what was both so silly and so revealing about that question. But after a while, it caught up to me. My main motivation behind identifying as a Satanist was clearly all the opportunities it afforded me to, in I guess equal parts, stir up shit, and trigger highly enjoyable intellectual discussions about God and Satan and Jesus and Christianity. But while all of this brought forth a lot of excitement and attention for a while, it mostly just offered me that other religious camp to be a part of. And since I didn't much like the other people in that camp, it ultimately just left me kind of lonely. Eventually, I came to the realization that finally allowed me to leave Satanism behind for good. Christianity is not the problem. It's religion as a whole.